0: Good morning. morning. Let me add my greetings to those of Dave. It's my pleasure to greet you all in the name and the spirit of Jesus. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we're especially glad that you're here. And now might be the time to take that black friendship pad, sign your name, pass it down the row and back again. You're supposed to look at the names of the people next to you. That's not weird. You can look at their names and then say after the service, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I'm happy to be opening the scriptures with you all this morning after being away for a while, and I'm aware that uh, some places where you could be a pastor, some professional Christians uh, talk about ministry in a way that you have to sort of perform on Sunday, and then you have your private, real spiritual life. I'm thankful that's not true here in my experience, or I think yours, Dave, that Being a pastor here has been a really good way to be a disciple, Uh, and as I've prepared to open the word, I'm reminded of that. So thank you all for making that possible here. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 24. We've been studying the life of Abraham and Sarah, and Genesis 24 is really long. We won't be reading all of it, but it's a reminder that scripture was not written to be a soundbite for a 20-minute sermon. And maybe it's a prompt to engage scripture in some way in your life outside of this time on Sunday morning. So we'll read Genesis 24. We'll start with verse 1, go to verse 10. I'll summarize a little in the middle, and we'll pick up again in the end. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Abraham said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives And get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked Abraham, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land... And who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things. So let me summarize a bit. So he goes on his journey back to Abraham's homeland. He prays to the Lord and asks God to give him a sign. He says, okay, Lord, the next woman who I ask for a drink, and she says, let me water your camels too, let that be the girl. And before he has finished praying, Rebecca shows up with a jar of water on her shoulders. She gives the men the water, offers to water their camels. They realize that she's actually related to Abraham, and the servant kneels and praises God. Then Rebecca takes the servant and all of the company home with her. They tell her parents what has happened, and her parents say, "'Praise God, this is from the Lord.'" They worship again, they give out lavish gifts to their family, they spend the night, and now we're here at verse twenty fifty four. 54. When they get up the next morning, the servant says, send me on my way to my master. But Rebecca's brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us for 10 days or so, then you may go. Uh-oh, got to find the rest of the text. Uh suspenseful pause. Here it is. (laughs) But the servant said to them, we're on verse 56, but the servant said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, Rebekah said. So her family blesses her and they go. Now in verse 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man coming in in the field, coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was not yet in love, but I was in love with love itself. I was not yet in love, but I was in love with love itself. This is what the fourth, fifth century bishop St. Augustine wrote about himself as a young man. He was not yet in love, but he was in love with love itself have you been in love? Do you want to be in love? This morning, right here, in the middle of the messy family saga of Abraham and Sarah, we have a scene that's right out of a love story, isn't it? Can you picture the scene in your mind? The sun is setting over the field. A rugged figure makes his way up the hill towards a demure beauty. The music swells as they lock eyes and Well, I must confess that Rebecca is looking a lot like Kira Knightley in my imagination. And this is seeming a whole lot like the meeting of Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennett in the 2005 film adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, in no small part because one of you made this connection this week. Truly, this scene, this meeting of Isaac and Rebecca, is pulled straight from a love story. This text is about seeking love but perhaps not in the way you might imagine let me catch us up on the story so god speaks to a man named abraham the lord tells him to move leave your home and go to a new land and i will prosper you there if abram agrees to go along with the plan god will use him to bless the earth and Well, the world could use a bit of help at this moment, given the wickedness that led to the flood, remember the Noah story, and the hubris that led to confusion at the Tower of Babel. So Abraham agrees. He sets out on a perilous journey to a foreign land, and more than once along the way, he wonders whether it was a good idea to gamble his future on the word of this unknown God. But at this point, things are looking up. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had a son. Well, two sons, but that's a story for another day. Abraham even owns a little parcel in the promised land where he buried his wife. If this were a modern tale, that would be enough. Abraham got the child he wanted and the home he wanted, and he lived happily ever after. End of story. What happens to the land and the descendants? Well, I don't think that has much place in our modern imagination, does it? We don't buy property expecting our great-grandchildren to live there. We buy homes we can sell when it's time to find a spot in a retirement community. We generally marry, divorce, give birth, or don't without much thought for future generations. Our modern stories have shrunk to the story of One man or one woman, one boy or one girl, finding their true self. But this is a bigger story. God wants to do good to the world God created. God wants to bless the world, to make the world what God pronounced it to be at creation, good. And God has embedded Abraham's story into a story that is about all people. Now I know some of you out here are lab scientists, I am not, and I know that you will feel free to correct me and even help me after the service. But I understand that in the process of scientific discovery, new questions or new problems often lead to the development of new tools. So if you want to study something, for example, you might have to build a new tool in order to be able to see it. When our first parents failed to trust God, all peoples were beset by corruption and sin, but God did not give up on his purpose to bless the world, but he needed a new tool. Abraham, by his covenant, his promise, through this special relationship, God is fashioning Abraham and his family to be the tool that will magnify his love to the world. That's why Abraham's story is such a big deal. Abraham's story is not just the story of one man finding himself. Abraham's story is the story of one God revealing himself through the cracked lens of a single family. But in order for that to continue, there's got to be a next generation. Genesis 24 is not just about Abraham becoming a grandfather— or Isaac finding a wife. Our text is about whether God will remain faithful or not. So Abraham sends a trusted servant to find a wife for his son. Abraham is an immigrant who wants his son to marry a girl from the old country. A girl from home will know the customs and the cuisine that Abraham and his family brought with them. A girl from home won't introduce Abraham's grandchildren, the heirs of the promise to Canaanite gods. Abraham wants to find his son a bride from the old country, but, as he says, not once but twice, his son Isaac must not go back there. If Isaac returns to Abraham's homeland, he turns his back on God's promise he turns his back on his family's calling. Instead, they must trust God to provide a girl who, like Abraham and the generation before, will hear God's call and go. It happened once. Can it happen twice? Abraham sends off a servant loaded down with evidence of his prosperity, camels, gold jewelry, a company of men. The servant prays for a sign And Rebecca comes along, offers to give him water, not only to the men but to the camels, and they discover that she is a part of Abraham's extended family. And that's a good thing. I went to a party when I was in middle school, and the whole night no one asked me to dance until finally, in the end of the night, a boy I did not know came over and danced with me for the rest of the evening. I went from being dejected to elated until a few months later, when we went to the extended family Christmas party, and lo and behold, who was there? Marshall Stratton. (laughs) In that context, it was not a good thing to be dating your distant cousin. But in this one, it is. God has guided his servant to people who are known and can be trusted. So the servant goes home with Rebecca, recounts the whole story of how his master sent him, which is why the chapter is so long, And after a good night's sleep, they're eager to hit the road. But in another dramatic turn, the bride's family asks them to delay. And the suspense builds. It seems we found the perfect girl, but will she go? Will the servant's skepticism or Abraham's faith win the day? The most important words in this long story are these I will go. Rebecca agrees to go with Abraham's servant. The Lord is faithful to his promise, steadfast in his purpose. The Lord follows through to the next generation and to the next and to the next, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and finally to Jesus. The Lord follows through all the way to his distant relation jesus christ and here he is the one member of abraham's family who can perfectly magnify god's faithfulness here he is the ultimate tool for making god known to the world and once again god follows through on his promise by finding a bride for his son as we read in ephesians 5 the bride is the church Friends, despite all the evidence to the contrary, there is a love story unfolding in our midst. It is a tale of life-giving love, love that begins with creation. It is the tale of enduring love, love that lasts from the dawn of time to its end. It is the tale of steadfast love, love that is tried and true. It is the tale of God's love, God's love for the world. Friends, this text is not about how to find a wife, ask for a sign, and get a good wingman, or how to catch a husband by being helpful and ready to move. Friends, this text is about God seeking us as his beloved. The Lord is a faithful, faithful lover, and the church is his bride, Like Rebecca, the riches of God's house are lavished upon her. Like Rebecca, the Lord would tabernacle with us to take us into his tent and know us. Like Rebecca, we are invited into the family calling to go. What kind of bride is the church? Are we ready to respond to our lover's invitation? Are we prepared to take on the call of, our, of his house? What kind of bride is the church? Well, consider what we've read in the news lately. Yet another revelation of leaders in the church perpetrating and tolerating abuse, a parody of perverted desire going on behind closed doors and guarded by those in leadership. We flirt with worldly powers, though we are betrothed to another. The church is preoccupied with worldly treasures, though we've been promised an inheritance. With false affection, we put off our beloved. Instead of, I will go, we say, just a few more minutes, dear. The church has been hesitant, unlovely, untrue. So so what are we to do? One temptation is to downplay and deny the church's infidelities. We put up a picture of ourselves and the happy and beautiful moments, and we relegate the rest to family secrets. We forbid our members from airing our dirty laundry. That's one temptation, to deny and downplay our infidelities. But the other is to give up on church altogether, to decide that the church is simply too damaged for our association, but perhaps look back with a little longing on that time when we were young and capable of being in love, open to the affection of God and his people. Friends, a love story is unfolding in the midst of this groaning world, and your life is a part of it. Will you take up your role in the chorus of the saints? The church is not the lead role. We're the best supporting actress. Our folly is a foil to the faithfulness of the main character, God. We struggle on stage and the Lord stands by us. We fail and he forgives us. This is how we take up the family calling to magnify God's love, not as an object of strength but as an object of the Lord's unmerited kindness and mercy. We are still muddling through the middle acts here. But let me reassure you that there is a happy ending to this tale. Though we're still muddling through the middle acts of our story with the Lord and our own messy family dramas. As Paul reassured the church in Ephesus... The Lord will not forsake us, but he will remain with us until we become radiant. Let's pray together. Holy Lord, we marvel at your kindness that you have not abandoned us but you have sought us to bring us home and make us your own. Lord, would you forgive us for our unfaithfulness? Would you cleanse us by the power of your Holy Spirit and the word, even now? We ask this in the name of our beloved Jesus Christ. Amen.